This week's episode is brought to you by BitRise. BitRise is a continuous integration and delivery service for your mobile apps. They support building, testing, and deploying for iOS, Android, Xamarin, or any hybrid platform. They have more than 170 open source integrations, which can be used to customize your workflows for different scenarios, and even have a CLI to run those same exact workflows locally to reproduce and debug errors, or just experiment. So head to bitrise.io to learn more and sign up today. Frank, I am away in España. Ooh, España. That is Spanish for Spain, is it not? That is that is Spanish for Spain. Um, <laughs> I know um, Paquito, España, uh, mm. Espanol. Uh, it's mm. been a, quite an adventure. We're over here in Valencia. By the time this episode comes out, I'll be actually back home in Seattle, so it doesn't necessarily matter but you know i love travel i love traveling for things for life this is holiday travel i'm on holiday recording this podcast it's a thing that's happening uh so you gotta help an american out here who doesn't know any geography where exactly is valencia spain (laughs) valencia would be on the uh east coast below barcelona which is Ah, below france whatever's below there it's over there on that side by the (laughs) mediterranean sea i believe Sunny weather then? Yeah. So is it tropical? It is not necessarily tropical, but how Seattle right now is still <laughs> spring slash fall yeah. and not great. Yeah. It's, it's you know that time in Seattle where you're like, oh, I just want Seattle to be all like this 60s <sighs> high, 70s high, just perfect. That's how it is right now all the time. It's great. Oh, okay. So I actually like this version of Seattle weather where it's just gray and drizzling constantly. This is actually what I prefer, but I get it. You want to get away from that sometimes and see non-drizzle. It's okay. Yeah. We'll still yeah, welcome it's you It's good. <laughs> yeah, and it's good. We're actually out here for, for a big event for, for Heather's work, but that's not until next weekend. So we, we did a whole week ahead of time. We're in a beautiful B&B in downtown Valencia, which is cool. And we're going to take a train and go to some neighboring cities. We got to hang out with some of um, Hville's, you know, friends that were over here um, for a long time <laughs> that she knew for a long time. So it was really cool to kind of catch up, see the culture. Really beautiful. It's a nice walkable city. So we just can absolutely walk everywhere. So yeah. I, I always lose weight when I travel to Europe. I find that I just walk all day, have a Coke, walk some more, have a Coke, <laughs> keep walking. That's me in Europe. For us, it's been uh, walk, drink some wine, walk, drink some wine, ah. walk, drink some wine. It slows me yeah, down, we... man. <laughs> Gotta keep going. <laughs> I have walked, let's see, um, six miles, 30 miles. No. 15 miles, 15, I got to do my math, 15 miles, 12 miles, 10 miles. So hitting my goals every single day, uh, which has been pretty good since we've been here. And it's been really nice. Mm -hmm. It's good to take some time off. You know, when we sat down to talk about this episode, it's like, well, James is traveling. Should we talk about travel and taking time off of work and turning off the phone, turning off the computer, turning off the Slack notifications, the the whole thing. And I've done that. You know, I've when I took the wow. job at Microsoft and I got the new phone, I just got a Pixel 2, but every time I get a new phone, I turn <laughs> off more and more things. Um, mm. One thing I would say I'm envious of iOS up until recent, recently is the the power that you have over notifications. So oh. being able to granularly control that. And up until recently, Android really didn't have that granular control over when I see a dot versus a full notification or everything. So I turn off everything at a hundred percent. 
I'm surprised about that. I always thought Android was always known as the configurable platform. So actually, I, I didn't even know that. I, I never like poke around in the settings like that. Uh, that that's interesting to note. But uh, so which version of Android has it now? This is the new hotness. This is the or the or the. I guess it'd be the Oreo, Oreo the Oreo, yeah. the Oreo sandwiches. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, be- before that, you could just say turn on or off notifications in general. But now with Oreo, there's a dot, there's a dot versus home screen versus different granular right. control, I would say. So it's yeah. a little bit and, and it's important to me. Like, um, I, I had this really frustrating thing. I, th- I thought I was being gaslit. <laughs> it was like really driving me nuts. Uh, Twitter messages would show up on my home screen. But then the moment I logged in, they would disappear. And I'm like, okay, so a Twitter notification came in, but I never actually got to see it. So uh, that's when I discovered just how granular all the settings are. And somehow in iOS, not Android, but in iOS, um, you're able to decide which notifications actually stick in your history list versus which don't. And once I learned that was there, oh my God, I was ruthless. I went through every (laughs) app to make sure like they couldn't stay in the history list and things like that. So it's good. These mobile devices are becoming more customizable. Yeah, is there anything that you do when you travel to try to stay disconnected, or do you like to stay completely connected? Like, what's your oh. swag? <laughs> well, my old trick was I just never got a phone. So, like, if, if you're there and your phone doesn't work and you don't want to use your phone, then perfect, you're disconnected, and that's that. I don't have trouble disconnecting when I travel for some reason. Um, even when I'm at home, I find it difficult to open an email client and a Slack thing and all that stuff. So, when I'm traveling, it's super easy for me to ignore them. Um, I guess, well, sociopath there or something, but, um, <laughs> but now I actually uh, got a phone that does work in other places, so I can at least do text messages. Um, but again, I'm just texting, so I guess I'm a little lucky I'm able to just disconnect. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I signed Heather up for Project Fi, so she has traditionally Verizon, so now she's giving Android a try with Project Fi for international mm-hmm. travel, and it's been pretty cool because she now can just literally pull out her phone anywhere i think the navigation we were talking about it today is if google offered google maps as a service i would have to pay for it because we use it (laughs) just absolutely nonstop. not only in the states but international everyone's just walking around like tell tell google please tell me how to go anywhere i don't know how to do anything in life please navigate (laughs) me it's pretty great to see i love it yeah i think we mentioned on the last time we talked about travel um i was using the google translate too so you know I'm, I'm, i'm a little bit of a google hater i don't use much of their stuff but gosh when i'm traveling it's all google because i just want things to work and they're just very reliable (laughs) and it just works it's true (laughs) And I don't care if they're tracking. They can track me when I'm traveling. It's it's fine. I don't care. <laughs> Please track me. <laughs> That's what I told Heather. I go, I'm like, oh, they don't need to charge for the service because they're just selling all of our, all of our, whatever we're going, wherever we're yeah. um, on time, not on time. It's, it's pretty great. <laughs> uh, but I will say something interesting has happened in, in what's interesting is I'm nine hours apart. So when I go and look at Twitter, a whole night mm. I've been sleeping, a whole different time. I'm right now recording at nearly 1 a.m. Uh, Spain time, but you're like 4 or 5 p.m., oh. so it's a pretty <laughs> big difference. So yeah. while a lot, a, lot, a lot has happened today already, not everything has happened that day, but what really brings us finally to our topic that we want to talk about today is seems to be more people just want to talk about architecture, Frank. Is that all people care about? <laughs> 
Um, is it all people care? I hope not. I hope they care about usability. U- user interfaces first. Architecture is a way to please yourself as a programmer, but that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to create apps for other people. That said, yes, architecture is all people care about. <laughs> so what has been, been the debate? What have you been tirelessly okay. so, going off on? You're, you're, you're lucky. Um, you're in Europe, so you get access to Europe Twitter. Now, mm-hmm. Europe Twitter to me are, um, I, I never get to see them. It's all our uh, British friends, all our French friends, German friends, um, the Spanish. <laughs> Jeez, I feel bad because I feel like I have to name every country now that I went down that path. I'm going to stop. Stopping there. <laughs> and uh, uh, at midnight my time, I decided to post something. It was a little project I was working on during the week. And... Um, I forgot that Europe Twitter exists, and a lot of people mm-hmm. picked it up and started talking about it. So I'm like, I just want to go to bed, but then a lot of people were talking about it, so I started to do that. So this whole topic, James, is architecture. Yes. Uh, someone posted they uh, tried to implement an Elm-style architecture, which is a functional architecture for uh, doing user interfaces. They wanted to use that architecture or pattern uh, in a Xamarin Forms app and posted that uh, it just doesn't work. Um, uh, I shouldn't have done that inflection. That was rude. They said, this doesn't seem to work. (laughs) And I thought there was a way to make it work very elegantly. So I programmed all day long and then released a thing at midnight. And we've been talking about it ever since and just having a grand old functional versus MVVM discussion on Twitter. Mm, so this is, I'm looking here at Preclarum slash immutable UI. This is, so this is all mm-hmm. what's great about being on European time is that I don't really check Twitter on European time. And I also miss out on this because how Twitter works is they don't like to show you anything in chronological order and they hide oh, God, everything no. that's important from you. Right. Uh, even yeah. if you only want to be notified about certain people, no, no, no. They are going to tell me that Miguel favorited all of these tweets and I must read them as well. It's very important <laughs> that I read these tweets. So what the heck is this thing, Frank? So, okay, why? Oh, okay. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what is the world blowing up about in general? Okay. Uh, well, in this functional architecture of doing user interfaces, the idea is I have my data and I write functions and a function converts data into user interface stuff. So mm-hmm. you can imagine that. Like I load in a JSON file and I generate an HTML. That's a user interface. Or uh, you can extend that to uh, actual uh, real things like Xamarin Forms. So I read in a JSON file and I generate um, a, a Xamarin Forms UI. Great. Mm-hmm. Done, right? <laughs> yeah, done. So, Pretty easy. I like it. I yeah, like it. It's great. You should all write your apps that way. Now, the <laughs> problem comes in is uh, when you have user input. So when you want to change the data that you're displaying. So this is great for static. But now we have to deal with um, uh, user input, whatever, input from the web, you know, just data coming in. And you want to update the UI. So in the naive approach, uh, you run your function again and generate more user interface. And then I guess you would just swap out the old interface and put in the new interface. And that's what um, Adam, the person who posted, was complaining about, said, oh, look, you can't do this functional style with Xamarin Forms. Yeah, no, you, I'm pretty sure you can. Am I wrong? (laughs) I mean, Uh, I, well, 
Yes and no. I mean, okay, so let me roll back my point of view of how this mm-hmm. kind of works is I've heard a lot of discussion about code first UI versus XAML UI. And, yes, yeah. you know, I'm a huge XAML person. I think if we think if we think about the conversation there of how we build UI, there's actually three ways of doing it. Whether you're first building something with a storyboard or designer view. Now that could be using mm-hmm. iOS storyboards, right? That's one. Yeah could be using Android XML, which is totally a Ooh. markup, but you're using a designer. Okay, you're still using a designer. I about that one. <laughs> you can still do it. You can be using XAML, which again is just mm-hmm. a user interface markup. You can also do everything in the code behind. You can do everything in C Sharp. You can do it in Android, which is terrible. Don't do that. You can do it in... <laughs> in, in now, that's the thing is what's interesting here is I think... If you compare like a UWP XAML or I've done in the past, like Silverlight XAML or Windows Phone XAML versus Xamarin Forms user interface was interesting. I will say about Xamarin Forms user interface is that if people go back, a lot of people are newer to the Xamarin world or maybe, you know, going, coming and looking at different cross-platform user interfaces is Xamarin Forms actually started with no XAML. The first release was not going to have XAML. And if you go back... (laughs) There was no code, there, there was no XAML samples because it didn't exist. It. And then Stefan created the XAML parser and pushed it in there. And then it became a thing because everybody wanted it. And I will tell you this much, Frank, when I go to conferences and when I presented on XAML and forms for the last three years, by the way, no one wanted code first. Everyone wanted XAML. And I think that's what mm-hmm. people pretty much really want because they're very comfortable with a a readable user interface. And I think that is kind of what it comes down to, no matter how you're building user interfaces, is because when I looked at the user interface of building Xamarin Forms UI with code, it actually was relatively readable. It wasn't elegant like XAML, but it was more readable than trying to do that with um, Android. With iOS, I would say it was pretty similar because iOS code first minus the constraint system was pretty straightforward. But Xamarin Forms itself as a user interface was necessarily code first. So whether you're building in C Sharp or F Sharp, you could totally do it. So the question is, what is wrong with that approach of just creating it? Is that not good enough for people that are like, I don't care about XAML. I want to go straight to the the API. What's the difference of why whatever you created or why these other models are important? Um, okay. I, I want to answer this on so many levels, but <laughs> uh, we'll try to break it down. I, I, I first, I, I, I want to change perspectives a little and think about um, one thing you forgot was Razor in your list of um, UI languages. Mm. Razor mm-hmm. is uh, the one everyone's using on the web. Yep. And it's another way of thinking, well, maybe XAML is actually just more of a templating language, because that's usually what we call Razor. No one ever calls it a UI language. Everyone just calls it a templating engine. But what is it really? It's really a, it's, it's really a, just a UI layer, a DSL for writing UIs. Um, so, and what do they do? They take some data. In this case, XAML does data binding. But um, take some data, take this template, and output something else that sounds an awful lot like a function so i think that there are a lot of parallels between view models and data languages and templating engines and what the functioning functional model has to say about building uis too they're all very similar we're taking some data and generating some ui stuff how we go about that actual process kind of doesn't matter Mm -hmm. now where it does matter is 
flowing information back again from the user. And that's where it always comes down to that. It's very easy to forward project data. How do we take information back, back from the user, though? Okay, so the user enters something, user presses a button, and then sure, something happens. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Buttons and text entries. If you solve those two, you generally solve data entry. <laughs> you know, there's mouse events too, and there's all the other events, and you have asynchronous web events and all that stuff. But yeah, you have data coming in. Uh, so in the case of Razor, uh, they don't really have a great story for that. <laughs> Their story is post back to the server and regenerate the UI. So these MVC web frameworks are actually a very functional style of programming. And I think people don't realize it, but they're already doing a lot of functional programming every time they make a website using Razor. Now, the big difference is um, on the native platforms where we don't want to regenerate the UI. It would be very expensive to regenerate the whole user interface of, I don't know, pick your favorite app, the Twitter app. <laughs> you know, every time a new tweet came in, they had to recreate every label, recreate every list view. That would be terrible. So we need a solution to that problem. And in XAML, we have data binding. That's the solution. So in that markup, we have data binding. The data binding and the markup know how to work together. They, they cooperate, and we solve that issue. Does that clarify things, or did I just muddy the waters even more? No, this makes sense to me. I mean, in general, when you think about how the user interacts, how you're updating the user interface, yes, this, this all makes complete sense of are you doing a full mm -hmm. redraw? Are you updating the bit and piece of the specific UI element inside of the entire hierarchy. I think that's maybe yeah. the key takeaway is with certain paradigms, you're either saying, I'm going to redraw the entire user interface right now because I need to change this one pixel. But no, no, no. What you really mm -hmm. want to do is just change this one pixel and leave the rest of the state alone. Oh, you just reminded me of something. Games. Games are a great example of this too, where every frame, they regenerate the whole user interface. Mm -hmm. They deal with the same exact problem. 60 times a second, they're regenerating the entire UI. So the games can be even thought of in a functional uh, UI approach. And they deal with the input the same way that Razor does. Just generate the new UI on the next frame. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, update the yeah. data and generate the next frame. And notice uh, this whole thing. I've somehow avoided even mentioning MVVM. I feel very proud of myself. I just have to <laughs> <laughs> a little shout out. Okay, so... Um, we're down to this problem of, um, let's say I actually do just want to generate the Xamarin Forms UI from scratch, a very functional approach. Is there a way I can do that efficiently where I don't create every list view and recreate every label every time? And I said, yes, there is a way to do that. And that's why I built this library called Immutable UI. And what that library does is gives you it's, it's a complete mirror of the Xamarin Forms API, but in an immutable style. So objects that can't be changed. There are no setters on the properties. There's properties, there's events, but there's no setters on anything. And somehow, <laughs> uh, my hypothesis is, if you can deal with this uh, immutable model and do all your UI generation with that, if that's the output of your function, then I will give you very cheap updates of your UI. So give me a whole new UI and I will very cheaply make it happen. That's the idea. Yeah. And it looks like I'm looking at this sample minus the underscores, which hurt me and make me sad and cry inside. <laughs> uh, 
you essentially recreated what looks like the flutter sample of a kind of a, a redux ish ish model. Yes. And I, and I kind of say it that way because every element on the screen in, in let's say a flutter ish, the flutter just really implements a redux style of, of programming mm-hmm. sort of has its own model representation where if it's a button, when button does something, do this thing and you set a state on the user interface. So for instance, setting the state means the text label is equal to the current counter dot two string. So that's an integer. So you're not saying the text should equal counter dot two string. You're saying, Hey, when you want to represent the user interface, I will lay down the label and the button and then I will set mm-hmm. the specific properties when so. When you tell me to set yeah. the state of the page, which is, um, it, it's similar in a way to MVVM ish. I would say. I mean, there's maybe more abstraction over it. Is that is that the difference? Yeah. Or there's a, a layer well, of abstraction. Let me uh, let me try to put MVVM in context of um, the kind of argument I'm making of we're all doing functional programming anyway, and we're just solving the problem of how do we move the data back. Uh, MVVM is just um, a, a little in-between shortcut uh, that we write. <laughs> so we have the, our data model, and we want a UI. MVVM is something we put in between them. It's just a part of the function of the transformation. The model, the the view model, is just a distillation of the data that is needed to build the user interface. Mm. So MVVM, to me, do you use it? Do you not use it? It's really just: do you want to connect your data model directly to the UI, or do you prefer a buffer? You know, a testable buffer. You know, people do all sorts of great things with MVVM. But it's really just, do you need a buffer or not? And I maybe it's a little simplistic, but that's how I see MVVM. It, it's that simple to me. Um, I feel like you had a question and I totally forgot it on that detour. <laughs> well, it seems as though in this part, we always talk about lifting the state. It sort of seems like what this means is that you could lift the state higher and have a main page state instead of putting the counter yes. into your main page. But what this also means is that you could have the button model be reusable, unlike XAML, right? It's hard to to reuse XAML. You have to put it in a shared con, con, um, you have to mm-hmm. put it in a shared thing, and then other things, and then this thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little bit more complicated to start reusing not only your views and your view models and pieces, and, and break it into um, smaller segments. And when I think you look at other web type programmings that are more um, reactive style mm-hmm. i guess uh, in a way uh they sort of go down this model of saying well this this piece of it updates and we're going to tell it to update you know we're going to tell the counter and we're going to tell it right now that hey this is the current state it's kind of state driven instead of this binding driven yeah and um you mentioned the word redux before if people aren't familiar that is an architectural solution to the same problem we're talking about about moving data back. Um, And you mentioned probably the trickiest part of writing apps in this style is when you have a very complex app with a lot of nesting, then you end up having, as you said, lift that state up higher and higher and higher. So if I have an app that can reach 10 levels of detail, then, you know, the graph is going to be, or the tree, you know, my state object is going to be 10 levels deep, you know, something like that. It's a bit of an issue. But I would like to talk about... um, 
some of the benefits because you mentioned the reuse. But I think first we have, uh, do you want to tell me about something you like? Yeah, well, you know, I do love building user interfaces in XAML, Frank. It's one of my favorite things. I can't help Mm -hmm. myself. And when I do so, I love using MFractor, which is an amazing add-in for Visual Studio for Mac. MFractor, if you don't know, are a glorious sponsor of this week's episode, has this amazing extension. When you go to mfractor.com, you can learn all about it. Essentially, imagine all of the shortcuts, refactoring, code analysis, anything that you could possibly want and imagine when building a Xamarin or Android or just C-sharp application, it's built in with mfractor. It has all the great things that you need. In fact, version 3.5 literally just came out as we're recording this. and has tons of great IntelliSense and refactoring capabilities. My favorite part is like, you know when you want to go create a value converter and you're like, oh, I need this thing to be a string, but no, I need it to be a color. You got to go create the class. You got to implement it. No, no, no. You right click and say, hey, I want to create a new converter. It generates the XAML and the entire class behind. Better yet, what if you're doing things like, I don't know, I want to create an effect or a custom control. It'll handle all of the cold code sca- scaffolding for you. If you're doing things like images or colors, they have pickers and inspectors that will show you your image in line inside of the XAML. But there's also t- tons of great installations for Android applications with Android XML as well and C-sharp refactoring controls. It's essentially everything that you could possibly ever want and imagine inside of an amazing tool. There's a great free version with MFractor Lite that you can get. Just give it a try. Go for it. Or any Merge Conflict listener can get 10% off by going to mfractor.com and using coupon code merge-conflict. You can get all the great benefits. Give it a try. We know you're going to love it. I love it. I have it installed and I'm paid for it. I'm a paying customer of MFractor. So give give it a try. Thanks, MFractor. We've been talking about like, uh, code UIs versus XAML. I've actually been doing quite a few XAML UIs lately. So I appreciate all these kinds of tools because I keep saying it. I'm still not a good XAML programmer. It still takes me forever. I'm like, how do I do a list view? <laughs> well, one day you'll get there, Frank. I have, I have uh, faith in you. Someday. Someday. Yes, someday. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So what are the the benefits here? What are the downsides? And then what are the benefits? I guess is probably my question, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You you mentioned a big one, which was um, the the caching and shareability. It's very easy to create like a template button, let's call it, and like just create a button, set some colors on it, set the font on it. We'll just call that, you know, standard button. And then when it comes time to create an OK and cancel button, I can say, take that standard button and recreate a new object with all those properties, but with this variation, make the background red, make the background green. So you can do all this um, sharing and caching of the data, and that's just a benefit of it being an immutable object. It just, you can't break them, you can't change them, so they're always safe to pass around. You can toss them between threads. You can serialize them. Here's an interesting thought. Say my whole app is represented in an immutable uh, UI graph. Just save that to a JSON file, because it's just data has no hard references to anything real. Uh, And then when the app loads up next time, just deserialize that JSON file and tell it to display itself. And there you have instantaneous app loading. And then wait for all your data to load and take control back of the UI uh, by updating the UI once everything's loaded. I think I might actually start doing that if I had an app built with this from scratch. Yeah, and I think when you are... Well, I think one big benefit here is when people get started, I think this is for me how I look at a lot of application development 
when I look at some of the other tools that are out there, and it was Xamarin too, and people are looking to get started fast. And when you come from a XAML mm-hmm. background, you think, I got to create my view models. I got to create my models. I got to create my XAML views. I got to create styles. I got to create custom converters. I got to do this <laughs> thing. You got to do all this stuff. And I think for me, when I get started, I don't do any of that. You know, when I tell people, here's how you build an application, <laughs> why don't you just put it all in the code behind? Like, who cares when you're just prototyping something? But I always get mm-hmm. in my mind, I got to do all of this this fluff, all this stuff, just to increment, oh, yeah, in, just to increment a button, like a, a button and a integer. Like you don't actually have to do that. And I think that's something that to remember. So, so for me, this is why it's never been such a big concern. But I can see why it would be as concern, which is I'm so used to building this way, and then I see other you know types of developments, whether it's web development. And I'm sure the web development looks at other types of things and say, oh, I wish I had that. In fact, Android, they looked at what we had with view models and are like, we want that. So they have a whole architecture pack- package yeah. <laughs> to get view models into their application. And they have a data binding package to get data binding into their Android XML. So I think everyone is a little bit jealous of each other. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest about it. Just a little <laughs> bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, Frank. Or that there's an, a million solutions to this problem. And honestly, it sometimes comes down to which one you just prefer. Uh, let's take an actual concrete problem, and that is event unsubscription. We have to talk about it because in some ways, I feel like every UI framework is just an answer to how do I unsubscribe from events. <laughs> yeah. And we do this because if you want a long running app, uh, eventually you're going to run out of memory or worse, launch multiple rockets instead of just launching one rocket. You know, you need to unsubscribe from those button handler events. Uh, You know, I, I use MVVM a lot, honestly, just because it handles all that for me. I don't have to deal with event subscription and unsubscription. So you create your little reactive, um, uh, view model and you use James's MVVM helpers. I always just pull mm-hmm. that thing in and then you bind that up to some XAML and you got no events and everything's working. You don't have to worry about a thing. Great. Life is good. Um, and the, the functional approach is also a solution to this because you're regenerating the UI every time. Again, just in theory, hopefully it's doing it that actually more efficiently, but because you're just regenerating the UI, um, you don't have to uh, you don't have to worry about those events. You have to worry about some other events, but <laughs> those ones in particular. So I think, you know, they're all just solutions and they're better than maybe doing everything manually by yourself, or maybe they're not, you know, maybe the old VB way is good. But the truth is, whichever way is working for you is probably the right way to go. And so I, there are preferences to be had, but in the end, whatever works. Yeah. I look at I look at your code here, which is interesting, which is simply incrementing a counter with some different font sizes and you have I really like your constru- your constructor version. So what how I break down this code and we'll have links in the show notes as well so you can browse through this and give this a try. I don't know if it's on Nougat, but you can just download. It. I don't think okay. it's on Nougat, right? It's just a I, repo. I'll try to get it up. I wasn't sure anyone would actually take this seriously, but there there is interest, so I'll put a nougat up. <laughs> I think this is pretty cool because you just have dependencies and a little generator to do, which is probably better, so you don't have to always keep up to Xamarin Forms. But what's cool here is I like that your constructor can take every single thing into it. Well, I don't know why you what do you call it constructor completeness. <laughs> completeness, I, I think. 
Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, they're properties, okay, yeah. but might as well just shove them all in there, I think, which is kind of, kind of, it's clean code. And what you have here is you have a stack layout with a, not a series of controls. We have a series of view models and each view model is a type of control model. So my stack layout has mm-hmm. a label. It's a stack layout model, which has a label model, model. and a button <laughs> model on it, which is interesting because each of them kind of kind of they're kind of doing their own thing you know the 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 (laughs) button doesn't really necessarily care about the label i mean it doesn't it literally actually doesn't care about anything else (laughs) (laughs) all it knows is that when you do this thing it should go do something else and you have this set state which says hey go apply you know the 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 changes to the user interface that are on these these different Model. So that's actually very interesting because how I describe this is when I look at some of my applications, I always have a settings page and that settings page is always in code because I use a table mm-hmm. layout or whatever Xamarin forms like doesn't really update anymore. But it's very similar to when I made iOS applications, I would use a monotouch dialogue code first. Right, yep. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Like all of it code yep. first styles of data rows makes so much sense because each row is self-contained in doing one little thing and mm-hmm. incrementing or displaying some type of information. I don't need a XAML user interface for all of that. And I can be way more productive declaring this group, this group, this group, this group, this group, because it's yeah. one type of control. So I felt very similar. And this looks very similar in a way to how I used to create monotouch dialogue or the the t- the table layouts in xamarin forms right you know where i actually have my biggest problem with event unsubscribing is the ui table view in ios and its cells so say you put a bunch of cells into a table view and you want them to update uh when you know some data changes getting those things subscribed at the right time and (laughs) um, um, unsubscribed at the right time is actually very tricky because there's cell reuse. So you're not always notified when uh, you you don't always get a chance to unsubscribe. So data binding becomes a really tricky issue in those areas. And I find that an approach like this um, where you (laughs) don't have to deal with any of that just works out really well. So either use Xamarin Forms that has data binding, so you don't have to worry about all that, or this model actually is one that I, I use in my own apps myself, but more as a pattern. I've never tried to turn it into a library. This is my first attempt turning it into a library. Yeah. So can you describe like why you go this route versus any of the other approaches on just standard or Xamarin Form style of MVVM? Uh, if you're doing Xamarin Forms and MVVMs working, I don't think that you really have <laughs> any need for this style. You know, if your app's working, it's working and it's good. This uh, style for me comes from other desires. So I write document-based apps. You know me, I have Kauka and iCircuit. They're all load a file, do stuff with the file, close the file. It's all contained in that document. But for things like that, I want an undo buffer. I want to be able to do calculations on a background thread because all these apps have very heavy data processing. And so my data model is uh, immutable to start with. 
that is, it's not changing. Um, mm. I can always capture it all these same benefits. So I start with an immutable data model. So I've just always had this issue of how do I go from my beautiful, <laughs> solid, guaranteed to be correct, immutable data model into the squishy world of object-oriented where you never know what anything is and they're all related to each other. And to do that, what you ideally want is an immutable user interface also. And so this library is kind of bridging that little gap for me of I'm starting with immutable data. I made my data immutable for reasons. I want correctness. I want certain guarantees. And this library is making it possible for me to keep all that stuff immutable up to the very last minute where I actually have to set the text on a label or something like that. Mm. Now, how does this handle when developers myself, when I'm handling MVVM style, I know that I'm updating a lot of data. I have to be always aware of the UI thread and updating things on the, for mm -hmm. all my life. It's, hey, make sure that you're doing stuff on that UI thread when you need to do it. So I'm, I'm, I kind of read through how you built a lot of applications. I've, I've gone through many and many F-sharp classes of your code, and it doesn't seem like you've <laughs> ever had to deal with it. So does this style of programming then break that pattern? Is it because the library is handling it or because of how it's just architected <laughs> handles it? Question mark. Yeah, this is this is that old yet another benefit of the immutable objects of um, because they cannot change. They are completely safe to be passed around between threads and to be used on multiple threads simultaneously, literally simultaneously. So on multiple cores, not just, you know, awaiting. Uh, so you, and and the neat thing is, you don't have to synchronize those accesses between them. You don't need a lock. So I don't need to say like, oh, I'm accessing in the database now. Lock it. No, you just say, well, here's the new version of the database, and there it is. <laughs> it's kind of instantaneous. It's fast and it's efficient. So all that's to say that I'm able to write a lot more multi-threaded code without using locks, which simplifies a lot of the code. So when you look around in my apps that use the style of programming, um, they're just much simpler. <laughs> you know, the logic is just simple. You, you don't see all this like weird um, state management or set this variable then and set it there. It's always just update the state, let the UI update when it needs to. Nice and simple. Got it. That makes sense. I think what's interesting about any of these architecture patterns is they're just architecture. I mean, I think that you can make any architecture work in any type of application. You just have to either, you know, if it's, there's an architecture that's suggested, well, that's probably how things are built. Like MVVM style is just kind of how we built it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're locked to that. I think that's what's important is as a developer, you're never really locked to what the creator of the framework necessarily created it to do like you literally mm -hmm. took Xamarin forms like hey I'm going to take make take it into this immutable aspect I've seen people take it into a different type of redux f sharp type and or elm right you're you're yep. literally saying there's all yep. these different patterns and they are just patterns that sometimes if you want it to be this way that's fine and it totally works and maybe that's something mm -hmm. to get across is that whatever you're comfortable with is probably okay. So that was a, the main thing to take away is if you're doing MVVM and that's what you're comfortable with, like me, I'm probably not going to change my pattern just because this thing handles a few mm -hmm. other things. Like I can, I can deal with it because yeah. I really like MVVM style. It's what I'm used to. But at the same time, maybe I'll try one or two pages in this style. That could be kind of cool too. Just give it right. a try. That could be something I could go with just to say, okay, do I like creating certain types of pages this way? I think maybe that's how I'll look at it. 
Yeah, uh, I should mention this is a very small little library. <laughs> it's not actually doing that much. So it's very lightweight. And honestly, that's probably how I'll use it too. I'm um, just, uh, I'm maybe not architecting whole app out of this. I prefer like apps to be a little bit of a mixed style, but definitely I'm going to pull it into certain parts and not just the form editors, but some more interesting parts too. You mentioned Elm. That's a good one. There's, um, I wanted to give a shout out to Don Symes library. He's doing an Elmish, uh, for F sharp. You can use it from C sharp too, but it's written in F sharp, uh, for Xamarin forms. And I don't know if he's really announced it, announced it, but it's, it's on GitHub and he's working on it and you can go see and see all the progress. Mm -hmm. And that's yet another solution to the same problem. Yeah. I like that. That's pretty cool. I think it's pretty pretty nifty yeah uh okay, and and one more point on what you were saying a lot of people keep bringing up is uh, how is this compared to mvvm mvvm versus frp fight you know it's <laughs> it's not worth fighting about it's just actually every conversation i've had about this has been very cordial but i think people want to frame it in mvvm versus frp and the truth is it's just mix them up you know i when i write 3d editors i like mutable state and i like to do terrible nasty things but when i'm dealing with the data model of the user data user data is important so i do a functional style there because i actually care about it and i want it to be correct <laughs> so mix it up and whatever works for you i think we've said it twice now so for the third time do whatever works for you yes do whatever works for you and what's interesting is that you know some types of architectures may not be built in out of the box for all different mm -hmm. types of things. Just like when I build websites, I really want MVVM. So guess what? I have to go figure out how to find an MVVM type framework, you know, that's out there, mm -hmm. like, you know, or the templating engine, like a razor that's going to do it for me because that's what I like. But what I like is that you can look at your example, how you mix and matched it to really take this immutable user interface style that, hey, this isn't out of the box and you can kind of get very close out of the box, but here's how you can do it. So do what you love. And if it's not there, go talk to Frank and he'll build it for you. I think that's the end all of this story, <laughs> to be honest. Is that correct? Uh, could I admit something there? So mm -hmm. like this, this Twitter conversation started at like 9 or 10 a.m., and I was like, hey, it's a Saturday. I'm just going to write a little bit of code, prove my point here, show that this can be done pretty elegantly. 14 hours, James, something like 50 commits later. It took me forever to write this stupid thing. It's small and lightweight, and I'm very proud of it. But oh my God, people, don't don't take Twitter that seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, so did, did we cover everything in the Twitter conversation? Is there anything else on architecture that we're missing from the, the, the discussion that you had in oh. our Patreon uh, Discord channel or anything like that? <laughs> Why does this keep being a thing? I don't understand. It's just architecture. I don't, I don't get okay. it. Okay. No, you ready for this? Here's the summary. The reason this is a thing for me why I think about all this stuff is because I don't have a boss. I would love to have a boss that came to me and said, Frank, you're using uh, Prism for your next app. And I'd be like, great, that's my architecture, done, sold. But because I don't have a boss, I get to wander the forest of architectures and be like, ooh, how's that one? Ooh, how's this one? And so I'm a little bit lucky uh, to get to browse around. And uh, we did have a discussion about this in the Discord. And it was very good. Another nice cordial one where um, we were making the, I think um, I got the 
uh, enterprise perspective, the line of business perspective, where they're just like, MVVM's fine. It's working for us. And I'm like, great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's not working for me in certain places, but otherwise, you know, fine. Good. Keep doing it. Because honestly, it's better than unsubscribing from those events yourself. Yeah. <laughs> do whatever it takes to not do that. Yeah. I'm through the test of time when things look, you know, shiny and new. I'm like, that's cool. But also this thing works. That, that's kind of my other thing is this thing works. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't quite understand. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's cool. In general, I mean, that's fine. But at the same time, I mean, I think it is cool that you can do this, but I'm still not going to. Because, yeah, when I talk to enterprise, like when I think of long term strategies of unifying how my entire company and enterprise is building applications, well, we're going to you probably make one pattern to kind of go for maybe a pattern for mobile versus a pattern for web and try to align things really easily to get those across. So that's a good thing kind of at the end of the day to sort of Mm -hmm. see how different people are building user interfaces or building applications and being like hey yeah you know this this works fine so you don't need to change it you don't it's not broken it's not broken i think that's the thing is it's not broken so if it was and then there's there's all sorts of things like reactive and all this other stuff but at the same time you're like yeah it's not broken so i don't know here it is I, I don't feel like I should uh, make fun of my library this much, but I'll, I'll put this in perspective. I, I wrote that library Saturday night, or finished it Saturday night, and then Sunday turned around and wrote a straight, normal MVVM-based app, fully object-oriented, no functional aspects <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, I mean, it really is do whichever one fits the problem. You know, the, it was a simple app with a simple UI. I could bang it out in MVVM and XAML quickly. So that's what I did. <laughs> and at the same time, you can, of course, use everyone's favorite font, Ferricode. I think that's what you're using. Is that what you're using? <laughs> I totally am. Um, you know, I, I didn't like Ferricode at first, but I finally got this Retina monitor. And now that I have Retina, I'm like, ooh, that's a nice looking font. <laughs> so yeah, I switched over to it. I don't use it. I'm a, I'm a tried, true Lucida console till, till, till the end of the day. So oh. it's just me. <laughs> How quaint. Uh, it is cute. I love it. You know, <laughs> sans serif, you know, get get rid of those serifs. Uh, anyways, it's it's nice. I do like the lambdas, but then, I don't know, whenever I see it, I'm like, that's not a true lambda. It's a, it's a hybrid lambda. You <laughs> can't have that. I like the arrows. Yeah. The equal sign, greater sign. They make it a very nice looking arrow. And I like the uh, not equals sign. Actually, I mm. find that one makes the code very readable. This mm. does not equal null, and it's very convinced about it. <laughs> I like that. All right. Well, anything else you want to get off your chest here, Frank, that you want to just, you know, talk about? Uh, No, I I look forward to the next library I write that we can talk about. I think that's what we do half the time is talk about libraries that Frank creates. (laughs) What else is going on? We'll we'll find something else. (laughs) But I thought everyone enjoys a good MVVM conversation. I think so. Everyone loves architecture. That's what we really come to the conclusion on is everybody loves architecture. So... Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I want to thank you, Frank, for creating yet another amazing library. And thanks for the community for challenging Frank. I think that's the biggest part is thanks, everyone, for challenging Frank and encouraging oh, no. him to waste, uh, not waste, to don't. have a hyperproductive Saturday <clears throat> afternoon. 14 hours. <laughs> I was exhausted at the end. <laughs> Good. That's how it should be. That, that means it was a great hyperproductive hackathon that you had over the weekend. So I'm very proud of you. Yeah great yeah i don't want to work during the week now don't program on the weekend kids 
Yeah. <laughs> leave, leave that for the week. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm going to go off. I'm going to enjoy the rest of Spain uh, while I'm here. And thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Frank, for putting up with my travel microphone. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in and learning about, you know, architecture yet again and staying up with me until 1.30 in the morning. So... I'm going to head off to bed, Frank. I do want to thank all of our amazing patrons. We have 50 now. We've hit the magical 50 patrons who are supporting Ooh. us each and every month uh, by going to patreon.com slash mergeconflict.fm. Or, of course, you can find all the great details on our website, mergeconflict.fm, where you can write in. There's a little contact button. You can tell us how much you love architecture or how much you love Frank's libraries because he creates all of them in the entire world. Uh, so go ahead and do that <laughs> rate subscribe review give us five stars we love that we're um, on a quest to also hit 50 reviews on itunes so if you do use apple Podcasts, they've made it easier than ever just go in tap on the podcast scroll to the bottom boom there it is hit five stars write a little review that'd be great i think that's going to do it frank uh, for this week's merge yeah. conflict so until next time i'm james montemagno and i'm frank krueger thanks for listening peace, peace.